there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in building a career that allows you to focus on deepening your spiritual life, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a board-certified chaplain who has worked in education, the nonprofit health world, and is today the founder and president of a company that's setting out to help all of us talk about and document our end-of-life wishes. But before I introduce you to Zach Willette, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that we blast out on Mondays to give you a sneak peek at the new episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my compassionate cappuccino lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my wonderful next guest is Zach Willette, a board-certified chaplain trained to listen and help people name what is most important to them. Zach has guided thousands of people as they traverse through both life and death experiences. With a background in education, international work, and experience serving people in two of Chicago's most intense ER and trauma centers, Zach understands the power of communication and brings a perspective of inclusion and diversity to his work. Zach co-founded Allay Care in 2018 out of a deep belief that life is beautiful. And because death is inescapably a part of life, death should have beauty and dignity in it as well. Before co-founding Allay Care, Zach served as the head of spiritual care for Ascension, the nation's largest nonprofit health system. Zach, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? It's a delight to be here, Andrea. Thank you so much. Now, was that very polite laugh a way of saying, oh, Andrea, I don't <laughs> drink coffee at 2.30 in the afternoon? I actually never drink. You know, there's an article out in the National Geographic about how different people's genetics determine how they respond to coffee. So my only caffeine source is dark chocolate. Oh, okay. Well, have you had <laughs> any dark chocolate today? I did, and it was delicious. Okay, fantastic. So you got a little bit of a caffeine rush. Excellent. So, Zach, you and I spoke before we started recording, <laughs> and one of the things that you shared with me was a frame that we could use in terms of how to categorize what you do, what career category this would belong in. And I told you I don't have it yet on the <laughs> Time for Coffee website, but we are going to call this spirituality and shifting cultural norms. Is that right, Zach? Perfect. All right. So in that category, what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into this field? So there's really two different angles I was thinking about. One is basically any entry-level job that helps you build skills and credibility in whatever field is that you want to change. 
So for me, it's around healthcare and death and dying and care for the environment. So that would be like an entry-level job would be working in conservation or even as a crematorium operator or doing transport for the funeral home industry or being a nursing assistant or medical aide in hospice. And the other angle would actually just be any entry-level job in a place that you see access to power, to expertise, or to opinion shaping that's going to help you break into that field. That could be community organizing, it could be with the media, a house of worship, and a healthcare organization, or even local, state, and government. Well, in looking at your resume, which you shared with me, you actually started working at the National Coalition for the Homeless. Yeah. That was a community-based organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was in D.C. and it was a really interesting combination of like being on the streets, talking with people who are homeless, looking in particular at their civil rights issues, and then also doing policy work because I was in the nation's capital. And it was it's remarkable how disconnected field work and policy work can be, unfortunately. Absolutely. As someone who was working on that when I was at Mercy Corps with mm-hmm. your buddy, Mike McCarg, I can attest to that. <laughs> So, Zach, what is a useful skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire? Yeah, the most essential one, Andrea, is listening. The ability to listen without anxiety, without trying to fix things, without preparing what you're going to say next, that is really the single most important skill. And it's hard. And it's like any muscle. You, You use it and it gets stronger. You don't use it and it gets weaker. And the other one I would say is... Um, The ability to ask smart questions and then stick with it until you understand it well enough to teach somebody else. I used to work really hard earlier in my career just to make sure that everybody around me could see how competent I was, right? I was just like always demonstrating competency. And that actually cost me. I missed out on opportunities, like really authentic opportunities. So just ask questions and learn for the sake of learning. I fixed that. I'm now not shy about asking smart questions or even questions that might not be seen as smart. And that's one of the things I look for when I hire folks. Oh my gosh. That is such an interesting insight. And actually, I think, Zach, to this day, I still talk too much when I'm chatting with friends or with new Mm -hmm. people. And I don't do enough just quiet listening. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, we can we can tell when someone's really listening, right? I think this is one reason people love pets because they're like, my dog is a really good listener, you know, or my pet, or my cat, or my turtle. They really listen, and I think it speaks to how, in our fast-paced society, when we've got glowing rectangles in every direction, we'll take as much of our attention as we give them. It's a real gift to give someone our undivided attention, and it's all too rare. Yes. I will say that while my dog is a great listener, she's also getting way too chatty. Like during the day, constantly running up to me to like tell me about all the nasty squirrels and people that are walking in front of the house. And she's like really talking to me. And I'm like, I get it. I hear you. But can you just like leave me alone? Okay. So Zach, is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this profession of shifting cultural norms? In other words, if they haven't studied, and I'm not quite sure what that would even be, is it a deal breaker? No, absolutely not. And that's because I see somebody's major reflecting early choices and kind of complicated choices that 
you made inside of a system that constrains you as much as it frees you. You know, higher education is amazing, but there's constraints built into it, and picking a major is one of those. So I'm much more interested in the ongoing choices that people make with the constraints and the freedoms that they have now, you know, whether whether they're still in college or not. So like, what are you reading? What is the podcast, for example, that you're telling everybody about? What lectures around your town or online are you listening to? And how does the way that you use your free time, how does that reflect your values? That's way more interesting to me than someone's major. So what about a graduate school degree? And of course, this is less so for the entry-level jobs, more so for somebody who one day may want to run their own nonprofit or may want to be the director of spiritual Mm -hmm. care at a place like Ascension Healthcare. I know you went to Boston College and got your Master's of Divinity. Yeah. How important is that grad school degree? And if so, what are the ones that you think are most useful to have? So for those kind of leadership roles, then grad degree starts to open doors. It's sort of necessary, but not sufficient, right? Like just having those letters after your name doesn't mean you can do these things, doesn't mean you're going to get offered these jobs, but it certainly does open those doors. I feel like there's this interesting way that graduate degrees are sort of moving towards the center. Like all of them are trying to integrate, for example, leadership skills. So my degree is in theology, which is contemplation of that which we call the divine, right? That which we point to with this word God. But I wouldn't be able to do my job if I hadn't also had some good training um, in leadership. And the important point I wanted to make is that that leadership training doesn't only come with a graduate degree. Being out there, especially if you're looking at entrepreneurship or shifting cultural norms, making a difference, you've got to get your feet wet. You've got to make some mistakes and learn from them. You've got to build some networks and learn from them. That is probably going to, at the end of the day, be more meaningful than just letters after your name. Great. So, Zach, this next espresso shot, I think, deserves a little bit of an explanation because Mm -hmm. I want to share some of what your interests have been just to kind of help our listeners understand the kind of life experiences that you've had. So the question is, what kind of life experiences are most useful for someone starting out in this field? You are someone who has traveled to all seven continents, including Antarctica. My favorite one. Oh, (laughs) so cool. Uh, And all 50 states. You are also an award-winning storyteller with The Moth. If anybody has heard it on National Public Radio, it is just such a fabulous program. You love digital photography. You're a former wilderness canoe guy. And of course, play the ukulele because that goes hand in hand and (laughs) piano and singing and so many other things. So what do you think is most useful for our young people who could be actively looking to gain those life experiences that will be useful to them as they try to break into this line of work? Good news and the bad news. The good news is there's no formula. So if you feel like your experiences don't adhere to some like magazine spread version or Instagram version of what your life should look like, that's good. You can relax. There is no formula. The bad news is that the experiences that are required require not just 
the experience, but reflection on the experience. So my real answer for this is like whatever authentic and personal experiences give you both of these things, pain and hope. And I'm laughing because people don't expect to hear pain, but let me tell you why. You have to have experiences of pain, and I don't mean physical pain, but maybe that applies for you, but you have to have pain so that you know in your bones that the world needs to change. And then you have to have hope so that you know in your bones that the world can change. And there might be people listening to this who have somehow lived a life that's free of deep pain. And if that's the case, then I would encourage you to heed the words of Audre Lorde, the amazing African-American feminist poet who said, your privilege is not a reason for guilt. It is part of your power to be used and support those things you say you believe. I have to say, Zach, I used to think that living an emotionally pain-free life Mm -hmm. was a gift. Mm -hmm. And I no longer feel that way. I Mm -hmm. actually believe that experiencing real suffering of some kind is a gift that you can tap into to give back, Mm -hmm. to find deeper fulfillment, whatever that may be, personally or professionally. But I actually do believe that as awful as it is when you're going through it, it builds the kind of grit and stick mm-hmm. that if you can really sit with that pain and work through it and not numb it, you will be the better for it. Oh, absolutely. That is so well said. And I'm glad you used the word numb because we live in a time when it's more easy than it has ever been in human history to not just numb ourselves, but like kind of permanently distract ourselves especially from emotional experiences that are hard. And yeah, you're absolutely right that it is embracing and reflecting on and letting the fullness of those experiences into you, into your full experience, doesn't just give you grit, it gives you compassion. That's actually your source of compassion. Your own suffering is your source of compassion. And so while I would never waste any suffering on anyone, there's enough suffering in the world, we don't need to create more. I do ask people to pay attention to the suffering that they've already got, they've already going to have access to. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%. What is the best part for you of being in this line of work? Uh, So it's actually a perfect segue from pain and hope. By doing what I do, I get to help people reduce the pain that is reducible and enhance the hope that is enhanceable. I remember one of my mentors, mentors saying this phrase, and I believe it through and through. He said, when he was talking to a group of people who were really going through a rough patch together, um, his phrase was, I am here so that your suffering is not wasted. And I just thought, that's it, right? Like this suffering can just be wasted. It can just come and we can smush it away or ignore it or numb it. Or we can use this suffering to grow and to learn and to be more alive. And that's what I get to do. And it's absolutely the best part of my job. Well, we will be getting into that job 
in the main time for coffee interview. And I just want to let our listeners know they should check out the show notes for this episode to see if the main interview with Zach has already been released. So Zach, every job has its flip side. What is the part <laughs> of your current job that sucks mm-hmm. the most? Yeah, suffering. Um, there is suffering <laughs> in this job. <laughs> and that's that like, you know, so we're trying to change the conversation around death and dying. And we're up against some seriously intransigent views. You know, there's this sort of magical thinking that if we just don't talk about death, then it won't happen. Or people think that if you think about dying, that means that you're not really living. But the truth is that each of those is the exact opposite. Death is going to happen whether we think about it and talk about it or not. So we might as well talk about it. And thinking about dying actually helps us think more fully about living and actually live more fully. So it is hard to be up against those kind of things. And so that's why I just keep chipping away. Uh, Mother Teresa is famous for having said, we are not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. And so while I certainly am in this so that we can accomplish some success, at the end of the day, especially those days that suck, I'm like, was I faithful to, to the values that I believe in, to the change that I want to see in the world? And if I can say yes, then it was a good day. Wow. That is such a wonderful way to live your life. So, Zach, I know you're going to knock this one out of the park. What <laughs> is the best career advice you've yeah. ever gotten? I mean, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> well, um, is it cheating to share two pieces of advice? Is that of okay? Of course not. Because one comes from someone I've never met, and one comes from the people that raised me. So... Uh, the person I never met is Reverend Howard Thurman, African-American theologian, civil rights activist, some people call him a mystic, and I think that's appropriate. He died in 1981, so I would have been eight years old at that point. I did not have a chance to, to meet him, but he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think it's important. I shared that as career advice. Like, that may not apply to your career. It may be that what makes you you come alive is being a parent or being a sibling or being a volunteer. I hope your job makes you come alive, but not every job is going to fit that. It's sort of a privileged notion to think that I'm going to sweep the streets and that's going to make me come alive. Um, But we still need the streets to be swept. And there's dignity and there's meaning in that work. It is good career advice, but it's also just good life advice. And the other one is, is from my parents. So my mom's a teacher and my dad's a farmer. And my mom convinced me eventually, <laughs> it took some time, to write with fewer words and to speak with more silence. And my dad showed me that when you get tired, notice I don't say if, but when you get tired, learn to rest, not to give up. My dad worked really hard on the farm, and every day at the farm, after lunch, he took a nap. And my brothers and sisters and I, if we were there, we would take a nap too, and it was great. And I think nature reminds us every day how important rest is. But we let our glowing rectangles, our screens, get our attention instead of giving it to nature. And giving up is easy, you know? When we get tired, we feel like just giving up. But when we get tired, we need to rest. Um, 
And I think integrating rest is its own cultural norm <laughs> that we have to shift. Oh my goodness. What wisdom from your parents, if there's time, and I'm guessing there won't be, but I hope there is. I would love to dig into the speaking with more silence from your mom. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think that your dad's advice, the other way of saying it, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, could be that if you just go to sleep, get a good night's rest, things will look better in the morning. (laughs) That's one way to look at it. Yeah. Or, I mean, it doesn't always take an overnight rest. A nap after lunch is a good way to do it. As you know, because you speak Spanish and have spent quite a bit of time in Latin America. Claro, la siesta, por favor, sí. Yes, uh, yo no hablo Mm -hmm. español, but I was going to say that they are big into the siesta. Siesta, sí. Oh, it's so sensible. And the the research on it is so clear. It is an evidence-based approach to rest your brain, rest your body, even if you don't fall asleep. When I was chaplaining full-time, I could do a 12-minute power nap. At the end of those 12 minutes, I was such a better person. I was such a better worker. It was a good investment for everyone involved. Yeah, and meditation is another form. So that's dude, the, dude. the waking nap, I suppose. Two final espresso shots, Zach. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books, do you think accurately depict your profession? Yeah, so there's some nonfiction books about chaplaincy that are pretty good, but your question is about movies or fiction books. And so when I thought about it, the only thing I could come up with is, and it's very aspirational. I want to sort of preface my answer by saying this is an aspirational answer. But there's a movie, there's some scenes in the movie Gandhi Mm. that, that show him standing up with such simple courage that even just thinking about it now gives me chills. It's a long movie, (laughs) but it's worth it. That's fantastic. And actually, those nonfiction books are fine if you want to throw those out as well. Yeah. So there's a chaplain named Kate Braystrup, um, and she wrote a book called Here If You Need Me that is really fascinating about how she came into her work as a chaplain. She's a Unitarian Universalist, so she's got a really unique spirituality. And and it's a lot about death and dying because her partner, her husband, was killed in the line of duty. If I remember right, she was a highway patrolman. And so she had to really confront her grief. Her oldest child, I think at that point, was 10 years old. So lots going on. And her book, Here If You Need Me, is about her work as a chaplain for, if I remember right, I don't have it in front of me, but the game wardens, actually, and folks who do search and rescue uh, work, which is also a lot about grief and anxiety and suffering and death and dying. She also did a moth story. So if you poke around on the moth's website, you can find Kate's story on there. It's really, to hear her tell her own story, it's super powerful. Awesome. So final espresso shot. What yeah. would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? People who work around death laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so of I, course. Yeah. We really, like, we have so much fun and we laugh all the time. And it makes me think, I've never been to Bhutan, but I'm told that there's a folk, a piece of like folk wisdom in Bhutan that in order to be happy, you should contemplate your death five times a day. When you do, you, you give yourself this wonderful freedom and such a perspective of spaciousness, right? And laughter is a byproduct of that. Anne Lamott, another, another writer I really like, she calls laughter carbonated holiness. It takes us somewhere. It connects us. 
and it rarely leaves us where it finds us. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so excited to get into what you do at Olay, how you do what you do, and the world of being a chaplain and all that goes along with it in our main T4C interview. Again, check out show notes, listeners, to see if that episode is already out there. Zach, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. You are obviously a super cool guy. I love the idea that you have created your own career category of (laughs) shifting cultural norms. You are just really special and power to you. And thank you again. Thank you, Andrea. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.